I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. Hi, Adam. Adam's a psychiatrist on faculty at Harvard Medical School. And like the rest of us, he is an avid television watcher. That's right. So together we're going to dissect the psychology of your favorite fictional icons and character issues that make them unforgettable. And we're even going to see if Adam can help them by way of his own fictional therapist couch. Some of these characters could definitely benefit from a bit of therapy, I think. Oh, for sure. Maybe not as fun to watch if that were the case, but definitely true. We're going to start actually With the latest season, season four of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has just recently wrapped up. And there's so much to discuss here because our protagonista, Midge Maisel, has made some real... uh, some real bad decisions over the course of these seasons and where I found her extremely endearing at the beginning. Now I'm a little worried about her, Adam. I got, I got to admit, like I have, I have some real concerns that I need to bring up with you. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to start and just uh, give a little synopsis of where we're starting and then we can take it from there. How's yeah, that? Let's, let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay. So the beginning of season four, for those who don't remember, and I know that I actually usually don't remember because ever since the pandemic started, I have the memory of like a goldfish, kind Mm -hmm. of like a goldfish. So at the end of season three, Midge, to say dumpster fire would be to undersell it. Midge had the opportunity to open for icon Shy Baldwin at the Apollo before going on a European tour with him. It sounded like an amazing professional opportunity for her as a stand-up comic. And instead of relishing it, and instead of making the most of it, she goes in and she blows it in the most spectacular way possible. She not only she not only sabotages her opportunity, but also her friendship and relationship with Shy by basically outing him, outing this performer of color. I believe the year is 1960. Not really a palatable option on the big stage at the Apollo or really anywhere in the year 1960. And she did it, and then she seemed surprised when Shy left her on the tarmac rather than taking her on the European tour, saying that, you know, the relationship and the contractual relationship and the friendship 
are both basically over. So I wanted to talk to you. Let's start with that. Like, what is up? Why do you do something like that? And why are you surprised when (laughs) blowing something up gets you (laughs) kicked off a tour? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about, as a viewer watching it, were you sort of... um taken aback? Were you cringing? Were you surprised when she was self-sabotaging like that? Oh, I was horrified. I mean, I I also, um, you know, not to divulge too much about myself uh, psychologically, but ever since I was a child, I had a real aversion to embarrassing moments in television shows. There were television shows like Three's Company that hinge on embarrassment that I was just constitutionally incapable of watching because those moments from which you're supposed to derive such great amusement, they made me so profoundly uncomfortable. So this made me uncomfortable in such a way that I didn't really, it was a combination of disbelief Mm -hmm. and real distaste because of the underlying, it, it, you know, it wasn't enough that she sabotaged herself but that she had to take down someone who had extended themselves Mm. to her also. Mm -hmm. I found that extremely, let's put it diplomatically, since I don't know how blue we're going to go in this podcast. um, (laughs) I found that distasteful. And so so that was very off-putting. And then in the opening of this season, she's driving away in the taxi. She seems shocked that this has Mm -hmm. happened to her, which that, that was yet another thing I didn't understand. And then she starts taking off her clothes, which uh, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just not on the same planet here. That is not, that is not a rational response. I'm going to leave it to the Harvard psychiatrist to talk about why, why you would take off your clothes. Is that not a good coping uh, strategy? I guess. I mean, I haven't tried it. Maybe it is. Uh, I don't know. No, I think I think you're hitting on a lot of really important points, you know, some of which is that it it almost comes straight from the title, right? Uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She is marvelous in all these different ways, but it's also sort of being used ironically, I think, because she has all of these uh, aspects of character pathology that really limit how successful she can be in her relationships, in her career, uh, in her basically her sense of self-worth. All of these things end up coming out through self-sabotaging behaviors that a lot of which you've just described. You know, why do people do that? I think part of it is they don't necessarily actually have insight that they're doing it, especially not in the moment. So there, you know, there's a scene later in the season, in season four, where she's trying to explain away some of that behavior. And she essentially has developed a, an explanation for it, which mm, you tell me, does it, did it make a lot of sense to you? Or was it sort of like putting a, a bow on, on something that was not properly wrapped up? Yeah, I mean, no sense, no sense at all. And I suppose that um, I'm going to say something now that should be tacked in before this discussion, which is there will be spoilers in this discussion, if you have not yet seen season four of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you should you should just keep us in your to-do file, go watch, and then come back to the discussion because we're going to ruin a lot of things for you otherwise, and we don't want to do that. That's not the relationship we want to have with you. Okay, so to get back to what we're talking about, uh, I don't know. She, she, I think that a really interesting 
factor of the show and you hit on it with this whole idea of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm -hmm. Well, similarly, right. We're told that, Oh, in this time period, on the plus side, the outfits are amazing. <laughs> on the on the con side, there are a lot of limits compared to now as to what women can do, can accomplish, can achieve. But the main limits here, you know, the more in-depth we go, seem to be the limits that she is putting on herself in every way. And, and I'm not saying that, that that sort of makes me sound like a crazed libertarian. That's not how I really want to come off. What I'm trying to say is that here in every element of her life, she kind of kneecaps herself. And so we've talked about the professional element and how she, how she frames her behavior in a way where she tries to sort of sell it as, you know, the self-destruction as ethical, you know, business choices. I'm never going to open for someone again. You know, I'm only going to say what's on my mind, blah, blah, blah. But here she has this weird relationship with her parents that I'd love to hear your take on. And I don't mean weird living with your parents because, I've personally done that multiple mm. times in my life. I know there are a lot of different people who are dealing with different family circumstances. I'm not talking about actually living together mm. in a multi-generational household. There's nothing inherently weird about that. In fact, in many cultures, that's mm. the norm. Mm. I'm talking about this strange interaction that she has with them. Her children, I, I, I mean, I realize the children are not the focal point of mm -hmm. the show, but I think that they were in there maybe once. And I've always, I've always been just amazed by, I guess they're hidden in a closet somewhere in that <laughs> tremendous Riverside Drive apartment. That always puzzles me. But so like, she doesn't really have that much of a relationship with her children. She definitely, she has a much more, I guess, transactional kind of relationship with sort of everybody mm -hmm. in her life. Yeah. So yeah. what is that? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think part of it comes from probably when the, so when the, when the show was actually being sold to producers, I'm sure the premise was here's a really funny woman who has a voice and society's not ready to hear it. You know, we're going to tell this story of this marvelous, amazing woman who is this hilarious comedian. And how does that go against these late 1950s values that society's stuck in? But as the show has gone on for, for four seasons now, the viewer has actually learned that it's, it's not so much uh, about the society versus the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, a lot of it is... Mrs. Maisel against herself, right? Midge self-sabotaging, Midge choosing. Uh, she's not going to do any opening acts uh, because she doesn't want to muzzle her own voice. She wants to be the headliner, even though anyone looking at the situation could see that that would not lead to a, a successful career as a stand-up comic. Right, um, like you have an opportunity to open for Tony Bennett. Maybe you should take that. <laughs> that was one of those moments where... Susie, her manager, is is standing in for the audience, right? We're watching it 
And Susie, the audience is just desperate for, please, Midge, take this job. You know, this is your path to, you know, playing Carnegie Hall someday. This is it. You know, do it. And Susie, who who is desperate to make a success out of her business, wants her to do it. And here's a line that Midge just will not cross. Like, and and it's that uh, degree of is it narcissism or is it values that she's sticking to? That's the almost like a crucial question, depending on your perspective as you're watching the show. I feel bad for her in mm-hmm. some ways because I wonder why do you why do you self sabotage so relentlessly? What what's behind that psychologically? Why why does someone do that? Yeah, I, I, that's it's such a great question that we're back to. I think that it's it's sometimes the uh, person, and we all do it to a certain extent, but some of us do it more than others. And the person either may not be aware that they're doing it. Why do we do it unconsciously? Why do we do it without realizing it? Sometimes it's because we have conflicting values underneath. You know, so on the one hand, she wants to be a world famous comic. And on the other hand, she wants to be a good mother and a good daughter, right? You brought up her relationship with these people in her family. And, you know, why is it that we never see the kids on the screen, really, even though, you know, we're told that she she loves them deeply? Why is it that her relationship with her parents is so strange? And there's almost like a competition with her mother setting up a matchmaking business versus her career in stand-up. And, and who owns the apartment and who's what's the storyline behind who owns the apartment? And why is that important to anyone? You know, as you're watching the show, the viewer, I think, sort of thinks about that. But if you put yourself in their world, Midge is is sort of trying to prove her self-worth to herself and everyone else. And so the issue is if you have a really strong sense of self and you know that you're, you have value, you're a good person, whether or not you achieve something, then you don't have to prove it to anyone else, right? But when you suffer with a degree of narcissism, which I think that Midge probably does in the most benign kind of way in that I, uh, which I mean, by which I mean, she doesn't seek out to hurt people. Uh, She ends up hurting mostly herself in these dynamics. And then there's some collateral damage. But when you have that degree of narcissism, it's all about trying to prove your self-worth through accomplishment. And then when feeling threatened that you're not worthy, when being told, Maybe that you're an opening act instead of the headliner for Tony Bennett, you know, uh, instead of Tony Bennett, you know, that's a threat to you. And suddenly you have to take a stand, even when it's against your own self-interest. So I do think most of it comes from this underlying, again, sort of benign narcissism that ends up, uh, as you said, sort of kneecapping her success. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And what about the dovetailing of narcissism and insecurity that seems in a way, <laughs> whatever, I don't want to alienate like every single person who's ever been a performer listening. That is not my goal. <laughs> but it does seem to like, uh, I, in other words, in within the context of the show, I think you certainly see it in how Lenny Bruce is portrayed. Lenny Bruce, by the way, I kind of love him. Mm-hmm. So in the show, mm-hmm. um, as in real life uh, a bit, but, uh, but mm-hmm. in the show, I think that he's an extremely appealing character. And so I guess it's a two-part question. So how do you see it manifesting in Lenny? And then why is it so much more appealing in Lenny than it is in Midge? Yeah, such great question. So I think that the idea of narcissism, if you ask most psychiatrists who are relatively well-versed in psychodynamic theory, like old Freudian psychology, that kind of thing, they would say that narcissism starts from a point of feelings of low self-worth, even though Outwardly, it is inflation, right? You're seeing the person puffing themselves up. And the reason they have to do that is they have no sense of self-worth at at the most inner level. And so it does dovetail. What was the phrase that you used? I'm sorry if I, if I forget. How, how it, how it's sort of inextricably wed to just a, a fundamental insecurity. Yeah. Insecurity. There's an expression that is used in some circles that a, a true narcissist is a piece of something uh, around which the world turns. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the person feels like like the worst individual in the world. And yet the way that they cope with that insecurity is by out of necessity puffing themselves up as though they're the greatest thing. Now, why the audience, I think, connects with Midge in such an intense way is that she is likable. She is talented. She does love Let's her Let's not parents. forget the clothes, Adam. Okay. <laughs> the clothes are serious. The clothes are remarkable. And the girl never repeats. That's something. <laughs> it is. A, I, I do think the show wouldn't be such a success without the almost like a madman element of like totally, you know, transporting totally. the viewer to this idealized version of, you know, the late 50s, early 60s. Right. Right. Just fabulous clothes. Um, Sorry, but I interrupted you. I derailed you. So her likability. Yeah, she is. She is really wonderful in all these ways. And so, you know, I think that for her to actually succeed, she'll have to do a couple of things. I think she'll have to realize that at some conscious level that she has value whether or not she is, you know, headlining or opening for someone, right? Whether or not she has the right life on paper versus in actuality, right? right? When the show opens and she's married to Joel, she has a certain 1950s housewife lifestyle that is absolutely sort of on paper right, but it all falls apart, right? Mm-hmm. Because for her, it wasn't the right life. Because and also nobody can really put like pretend that they're not putting a full face of makeup on before dawn every day uh, without cracking. Let's let's admit that now. Absolutely, especially me. I, I you know. No, I. Well, I mean, I didn't want to say anything. Else. Yeah, we're on a Zoom right now, and yeah. you know, your, your your makeup is 
it's a mess at best yeah <laughs> you know but whatever i can be candid with you it's fine i like you just the way you are thank you uh, yeah thank you. it's fine i want to talk though about that end scene of them on the stage at carnegie hall yes that was very very poignant for me i thought it was probably the best scene of the entire season yeah and i thought it was so interesting especially coming after <sighs> The again, I'm going to put in the note that if I gave you the warning about spoilers, like I I've said it. So, you know, now here we are. We're at the point where the will they won't they mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. they've been together. It was really like scratching an itch that <laughs> that so many viewers have had for so many seasons. But I want to allude to two specific points. So number one, that when Midge is in the bathroom after they've finally consummated their relationship, she finds that Lenny has a dop kit with morphine. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a spoiler if you allude to like actual things that have happened in life that Lenny Bruce, right. the real character, the real person did die mm-hmm. from a drug overdose. But that idea of, you know, I've, I've seen so many things in my, in my vast in-depth knowledge sadly, of things like Us Magazine and people that um, <laughs> that hear when you, that it's a certain kind of personality that high from a full audience at Carnegie Hall, right? That kind of shot of adrenaline into mm-hmm. your system, similar to the first time that you're high, right? On heroin, mm. that, and that's a high that you keep chasing and that you might never get. Mm -hmm. again. So really, I think that we're at, that's a moment where it's it's poignant for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that Lenny is at his peak right there and he's there and she is on the precipice of either a life of, of fame or, you know, fading into obscurity but I'd like to hear your your take on yeah. that scene. Too. There's so much in that scene. You know, I think you're absolutely right. Um, just to to you know see put put the you guys uh, in through my eyes watching the scene. He's racing out. She's following him, trying to slow him down, and he leads her out to the stage at Carnegie Hall. And she looks out. I got chills watching that scene. I was like, wow. But he didn't lead her there to have her experience that moment as magical. He led it there to show her what was at stake if she kept self-sabotaging. Because he had just offered her this opportunity. He put his neck out for her, and she rejected it. And, um, you know, that not only hurt her tremendously, but it actually hurt him a little bit, which he could dust off, you know. Right. And and the other, the other sort of uh, dramatic irony is we as the viewer know how it's going to go for Lenny. And we know that I think you're right that there's a certain degree of commonality between needing validation through performance art. And uh, seeking uh, high through through drugs, um, these are both things that are filling a void, right? The person at at their core is unable to, you know, be in a room and sit still with themselves or the life that they have, right? And so there's a real tragedy to Lenny Bruce's uh, history. But in the case of uh, Midge, you know, it's all ahead of her. So. I think that's where it comes in from the viewer's perspective. We're sort of looking at it and we like her. We want her to succeed, or at least I'm speaking for much of the audience, uh, liking her, wanting her to succeed, wondering why, why is she making these choices? And I think it's, it's, uh, that scene was so persuasive because 
It was coming from a guy at his peak of success saying, look, this is a business and all those ways that you have uh, lionized me by saying, you know, when I get arrested for, you know, talking about the police in my shows that it's so great, that's not great. What's great is getting to play Carnegie Hall. Right. And the way, Midge, you're going to play Carnegie Hall isn't by self-sabotaging. It's by by actually playing the game and she, the way that the rules are drawn up. And that's something that for, from the very first episode, she has, it's almost like uh, hardwired into her character that whatever the rules of the game are, she's going to try to go a step further. And how about the, you talked about collateral damage before. What about little Susie? You know, <laughs> what about her? Yeah, Susie's such an interesting character because when we meet her at the very beginning of the show, she's she's working the bar, right? And uh, she, you know, in this season, in season four, we see her, Susie Meyerson and Associates. Is, she keeps repeating. She's got this big office with this view. It's all on a house of cards, right? It's all been built up on nothing. <laughs> There's a carpet on a bloodstain yeah, exactly. on the ground. Exactly. So and you have these two gangster guys who are making pasta in <laughs> exactly. She, she's trying to, uh, it's another example. I mean, if we're going to talk about themes, it's a shared pathology. It comes out in different ways, obviously. She's trying to make a name for herself, literally, and she's trying to build a talent. You know, she does have an eye for talent. That's, that's clear. But she's going about it in all of these maladaptive ways, right? And so every time she makes a move, again, I think the audience is rooting for her to succeed. And then saying, oh, but did you have to do it that way? Couldn't you, you know, take the straight and narrow that one time, you know, kind of thing? Yes. Yes, for sure. And their fates are entwined, right? So Midge and Susie, you know, you at least from our perspective as the viewer to this point, it's like when one of them succeeds, the other one succeeds. And when one of them fails, they drag the other one down with them. But, and I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find words to to label this and maybe you can help me out. I mean, the stakes seem so much higher in so many ways for Susie. I mean, here Susie was living like pretty close to the poverty line. Mm -hmm. I mean, Midge, if she doesn't have a gig, still seems to be doing okay, right? I mean, she's not worried about, she's worried about her. I understand we have this whole, you know, drama about the tab at wherever Zabar's, you know, but like, I I am told that one can live without Zabar's. I I have (laughs) heard that. So, you know, as opposed to Susie, who it's really like a a roof over her head. I mean, it's everything. Yeah. I mean, Midge is coming from a world of privilege and and Susie is coming from like the real world kind of thing. And so I, I think you're right. But on the other hand, if, if Midge was forced out of failure to go back to the life of depending on parents of living, let's say, you know, of, of like the 1950s version of, of what she had been before the show starts, right. she would be so critically unhappy in that life that they would, I, I would say that they have equal stakes. You know, what, some of them are sort of, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, mm-hmm. like shelter and food and, 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 right. and warmth and that kind of thing, like that's, that is happening at Susie's level. But just above that is all that need for, you know, um, actually uh, being content in your life, right? Yeah. Having social acceptance and a feeling of self-worth and all of that. No, I've heard all those things are great. <laughs> yeah, it would be wonderful if we could right? all have them. Yeah. So nice. So, okay. So let's imagine that 
<laughs> that somehow there's a time warp to say nothing of a warp between fiction and reality. And Midge Maisel walks into your office and she's, so she's actually she's sitting there and she's seeking treatment. What do you, what do you tell her? How do you guide her? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think that the first thing that I do want to acknowledge is like psychiatry among all fields of medicine is so dependent on the society within which it exists, right? So I bet if she actually went to see a psychiatrist in 1960, they would like prescribe her some sedatives and say, go back to your husband kind of thing. It would be, <laughs> so, it would be such a terrible, terrible uh, uh, fit at that time. Mm -hmm. But in the modern era, like we, we actually, you know, obviously approach things differently. And in her case, you know, I would try to actually try to figure out with her what is important to her, get her to see and describe and stick to what's important and then identify the ways in which she's actually been self-sabotaging. So there is a, a very sort of um, modernized version of cognitive behavioral therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. And this kind of therapy, it's not about, you know, what your childhood was like and it's not about what your mother once said to you. Uh, it's all about what do you care about? What can you accept in your life? And how do you commit to getting the goals that you want? And I think for her, you know, I, I, I'd have to go in that direction. You know, she has so much charisma, so much talent. How can she overcome this sense of uh, low self-worth that might not even be apparent to her? You know, anytime you ask her, she'll say she's wonderful, she's marvelous. But underneath it all, there's a sense that she's not, I think. And so how can you overcome that and, and get her behaviors to align with her values, right? That's, that's how I would mostly approach it. What do you think? If I took that approach, how do you think the show might go? Oh, how would it go? I mean, you know, I guess we'd be closing out on uh, Carnegie Hall stage, you know, <laughs> thank you and good night. But I think that it would be a very positive thing for her to do. I wonder though, if she'd, I, I think she has to keep living with her parents or at least in the same building as her parents purely for the child care factor. So <laughs> yeah, let's, you know, forget about the relationship you know, or she has to move somewhere maybe with Zelda. Oh, Zelda's one of the most underrated. I feel like Zelda's an unsung hero in this whole dynamic, you know. The whole the whole fantasy falls apart without Zelda doing all the work, you know. I mean, it, of maintaining this house. It's 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 uh kind of yeah. Anyway, that's how I feel about Zelda. I, uh, you know. I I do think if if Midge showed up for therapy, she'd actually probably storm out at least four out of the first five times that we met. Oh, so definitely. That would be, there would be a lot of tirades and then storming out and then, you know, uh, coming back together and uh, trying to mend that relationship. And so, you know, the show might take on a different kind of format in that way. Right. right. Oh, I would love to see, <laughs> I would love to see a modern day midge tantrum and door slam. <laughs> I would I would like to hear Midge's take on some of the stuff that's going on in the world, but we'll just have to use our imaginations. That's right. Well, right. it's been such a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to watching so much more television apart and then coming together to dissect it. But everything that it's so much more food for thought. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jordana. You too. Looking forward to the next show. And I'm just going to give a disclaimer here at the end. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. 
If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.